0: Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It is Tuesday, the 7th of February, and we're kicking off a special initiative here at the Bottom Line Show for this entire week. Um, this week, of course, we're talking about uh, Valentine's Day is a week from today. And here at k Radio, which is our flagship affiliate for the Bottom Line Show here in Southern California, we have a special opportunity for you to make somebody's day for someone who has... Served our country with gratitude and with honor and with dignity. It's a, it's a new program that we've implemented called Valentine for a Veteran. Love the concept of this. Uh, basically, what you do is you go to kbrightradio.com forward slash v dash cards. And you can basically donate candy or treats or, or uh, in addition to sending a note to someone who is a veteran, who just needs a word of encouragement. As you've heard here on the Bottom Line Show in the past couple of weeks, the number of people who are uh, in veteran status and are contemplating taking it in and just ending the whole thing has doubled over the past couple of years. It was 22 per day, now it's up to 40. And we are taking a very active stance over the next seven days on the calendar here to reach out to people who are veterans. And uh, this Valentine to a Veteran campaign kicking off today, go to radiocom forward slash v dash cards and you just of course put in your name and then put a message and a bible verse to a uh a member of the military who is home and and with us now and uh we'll send them that also you can <clears throat> excuse me you can also uh make a donation as i mentioned uh, for those who are uh wanting to uh donate uh, make a contribution with regard to uh Um, you know, candy or something like that, Uh, to to make Valentine's Day more special. Uh, You can imagine that people who are going through depression, dealing with PTSD, etc., have uh, some challenges, and sometimes a day like Valentine's Day can really exacerbate that. So uh, we encourage you to do so. Also, we have another opportunity coming up this Saturday that's tons of fun. Working Dogs for Warriors is this organization we just found out about, just learned about. It's been in business for about six years or so and they work together to ease the pain of ptsd one warrior at a time uh, by providing service animals and place to live and rehab and things like that they're having an open house coming up this saturday uh, february the 11th the open house is happening uh at, at their main campus in uh, rialto it's at 170 north arrowhead in rialto from noon until 4 p.m and um, coming up in the hour number two daisy welsh who's the executive director of Wounded or Working Dogs for Warriors is going to join me and we're going to talk about this very issue of uh, helping our military wounded. And those. Of it, her, her story is she was a, a police dispatcher and did that for nine years. And it was so traumatic for her that she wound up working with other people to try to found an organization that would help people who are first responders, veterans, things of that nature. And it's just a great organization. So Cape Bright's going to be out there this Saturday. Uh, from noon until 4 at the uh, headquarters for Working Dogs for Warriors. It's at 170 North Arrowhead in Rialto. And uh, you can get all the information when you go to thebottomlineshow.com. This hour, I want to talk about people who do get kind of overlooked and forgotten, people who are facing challenging times. And we've got a couple of examples of people who you just kind of scratch your head and say, how did this happen? But then you also have um, people who could have been potentially left for dead, and God intervened and brought people into their lives to help them, just showing the power of community. Um, I When I read the headline of this next story, which you've got up at thebottomlineshow.com, we're trying to find a copy of it there. I think we got it now worked out. This was from Business Insider, which is not really a business publication anymore, but they uh, sometimes they have ads on these things that we can't broadcast. And so I have to find the a clean version of the article. This one in particular is good though. Um, it's a very difficult story though. And before we go any further, I, I want to encourage you if you have got young children with you, uh, some of the details of this uh, story are heartbreaking and they're kind of graphic. So if you need to have a little one uh, not in the room with you, if you want to go back and listen to the podcast after we're done at TheBottomLineShow.com or Apple Podcasts or wherever we, we do this, um, <clears throat> this is your heads up. Laura Winnem 38 years of age. Uh, this is a story that's just now coming to light. And it's interesting that it is because the English government was not really thrilled with the fact that this had in fact happened. Laura Wyndham was a woman who suffered from severe mental uh, challenges. She lived in Surrey, England. And um, she was <clears throat> basically schizophrenic. That was her main charge. Because she was schizophrenic, she had a very difficult time getting along with family members. You know, she had major psychoses and she was healthy and able enough in terms of the rest of her body. But when it came to her mind... She was constantly living in fear. She thought people were out to get her. Um, her family basically got to the point where they said, look, we, we don't feel safe visiting her. And so she kind of became an unofficial ward of the National Health and Social Services Department. Now, in a perfect world, if your government does offer something like that, there is a formal transaction that takes place. I mean, there's a a signature. uh, Doctors, you know, you, you don't just commit somebody to an asylum as they, you know, sometimes demonstrate on television or movies. But if someone's not able to care for themselves and they don't have any means of doing so, oftentimes they become a ward of the state. And there's a facility where they can go to where they might be able to live on their own with someone checking in on them or whatever. That was the case for Laura Wyndham. Uh, the last couple of years of her life, she had uh, just a real challenge with her family. And so she basically, it wound up costing her her life. But how she died and how she was discovered is the point that I really wanna stress today in terms of why it's so important to have somebody who checks in on you, someone who looks in on you, even if they're tough to deal with. Couple times a year, you know, make the phone call, stop by, do what you need to do. Laura Wynnum was discovered dead in her apartment in Surrey in May of 2021. What happened was her family came by the apartment, knocked on the door, they had tried to call her, she didn't answer. When they did get a way to forcibly enter the home, they discovered that Laura had passed away. That was in May of 2021. As they started surveying the apartment, they began to notice things, like that Laura used to keep a calendar. She was rather meticulous with a journal, writing things down in terms of things that were happening. Sometimes they were uh, they made sense. Sometimes they were illogical about people who are out to get her, or this, that, and the other thing. They started looking at some of her journals and they noted that the last time she had written on her calendar was November of 2017, three and a half years prior. And all she had written on the calendar on that day was, I need help. So basically, you could do the math here. The family maintains that they were counting on the Department of National Health and Social Services to do well checks on her and the wellness checks. But the family got tired of the fact that they would call her house and the line would ring and ring and ring and no one would answer. But nobody bothered to stop by. The assumption was in the family that the National Health Registry was taking care of this. Unfortunately, The same was holding true in the other direction from the local law enforcement. The National Health and Social Security Services in Surrey had no longer gone over to see her either because they checked and discovered that the phone was no longer working. Well, the phone was no longer working because it had been cut off. The utilities were no longer working because it had been cut off. The apartment was being paid for by the government. So those checks came automatically to the landlord, who never bothered to check on the apartment either because he kept getting paid. For three and a half years, this went on. And now, Laura Wyndham's sister Nikki said, everybody who was in contact with Laura and had a duty to her at some stage simply wiped their hands and forgot her. Cause of death, she was abandoned and left to die. Oh, that's just hard to say. Um, it's interesting because Nikki Winham, uh one of the sisters, said uh, the family was really unable to make contact with her because when they did see her, she had become so violent, they honestly thought that she would try to kill them. I'm not buying that as an excuse, but nonetheless, um, the family have retained a lawyer who basically said there were so many red flags missed, of course, now they're going to come after, um, uh, th- th- they're going to come after the government, of course. Um, no one had physically checked in on her in the years following her death, despite her having been sectioned twice. Authorities missed several opportunities to check on her and intervene, the family says. Her death has been believed to have taken place just weeks after police had visited the flat and reported to social services that she was exhibiting signs of self-neglect. They saw a lack of food in the apartment. There was an unawareness of local services that she had access to through the state. Social services attempted to call her in spite of the fact that the police said "Uh, when we went there, her phone was not working. She was still alive. Phone was not working. They sent her information about local services in the mail. And then as it turns out, her case was closed before the government made another welfare check. The uh, Council of Surrey, indicates a council spokesperson said this is truly a tragic case our sympathies and deepest condolences are with Laura's family and friends it's important that every aspect of this complex case be reviewed and we're committed to participating fully in the inquest process Um, can I just cut to the head of the line here and say what we're all thinking what were they doing if the family contacts the local social services and says she needs help, we're we're at our wit's end, we don't know what to do. If police stopped by and filed a report and said, look, we did a well check on her, she's obviously showing, showing signs of neglect, there's no food in the apartment, social services needs to do something, they put something in the mail for her to read, which not being in her right mind she was even going to see, and then when she didn't respond, they closed the case. I don't know how much money the city council of surrey will be out but it's going to be a lot but here's the the point though none of us is meant to do life alone we all need other people to look after us full stop if you if you need any evidence of this uh, stay with me through the break Uh, today here on the bottom line my next guest is mike kinney not someone you may have heard of this is a guy who likes to play guitar um had kind of a nominal Sunday school faith in Christ until that day at the age of seventeen. He was driving in his truck and he wound up involved in an accident that left him pinned in the driver's seat of his vehicle, and the truck burst into flames. Miraculously Mike survived, but his testimony will talk about how important it is for us to in, be involved in the lives of other people. The book is called Out of the Fire, How an Angel and a Stranger Intervened to Save a Life. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. My conversation with Mike Kinney coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. 2229 Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Well, today here on the bottom line, we have a special guest. And what makes the guest so extra special is he really shouldn't be here. I mean, that's, that, how's that for an introduction? Mike Kinney is with me today here on The Bottom Line, and he's going to share a remarkable story of why he shouldn't be alive, but he is alive, and what God has done with his life since that fateful day at the tender age of 17 when he was involved in an accident, and next thing you know, he's literally in a fire. Mike Kinney is the author of a brand new book called Out of the Fire, How an Angel and a Stranger Intervened to Save a Life. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Mike Kinney, welcome to The Bottom Line Show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Roger. Uh, Happy to be here.
0: Well, uh, and I know you say that uh, cordially, you know, just as a nice colloquial greeting (laughs) here, but also I know you're happy to be here too because of what happened to you on the day when you were 17 years of age. Uh, What was life like prior to the accident for Mike Kinney?
1: You know, real normal. Life was really normal. Uh, Grew up with a a great family, you know, a couple of siblings. Uh, My parents were... Uh, really involved in my life and uh you know I, I had gotten pretty involved at church because my dad was uh, helping out there a lot and uh you know it was normal I, I loved music I got involved in the the high school youth group band and had kind of taken over leading uh, music for that group and uh you know went to uh, school, went to a public school everything was very very normal uh until it wasn't mm. <laughs> And, uh yeah that's that's uh that uh, second day of my senior year in high school changed everything
0: boy it's certainly I mean that's a pivotal time in life anyway but then to have something like this happen can you uh, to the best of your m- memory obviously people can read about it in the book out of the fire walk us through what happened on that day
1: yeah so I uh, had planned to see my good friend Matt Bookendorf. um, he had uh, been out of town actually he went to California to enjoy some uh some surfing and uh, had just gotten back. And so we were going to hang out after our, uh, you know, school got started and mow a couple of lawns. And then uh, we were going to go to the high school football game. And, you know, after several things happened, we decided, you know what, let's go to uh, his parents' lake house and hang out for the evening. And it was on the way to that lake house that I fell asleep at the wheel. Uh, We were going about 55 miles an hour. And he was driving in front of me in his little red Supra. I was driving behind him in my 1987 Ford Ranger. And um, and so I fell asleep at the wheel. He saw me veer off the road in his rearview mirror and, uh, you know, kind of plow through a hollow tree and then into a telephone pole uh, where my car, uh, my truck burst into flames. And uh, and so that's, that's, uh, that's kind of a, a very quick overview. But, you know, as soon as he got to my truck, um, it, it, the, the flames had started to spread around the truck. It was a cloth interior, and he hadn't thought to go to the driver's side door because it was so mangled. So he mm. went to the uh, passenger door and was trying to punch through the the glass. The door was locked. He was trying to punch through the glass and then tried to kick through the glass, but the dew had set on the ground, and so his foot was mm. just skimming off the window. And he came back over to the driver's side, and it. Uh, It opened. We still don't know how, but the door opened, and he started to pull on me, uh, but I I wasn't moving, and he realized I had my seatbelt on, and by the time he reached in to pull off my seatbelt, he burned his arm Mm. just getting my seatbelt off of me, Mm -hmm. and um, and so he gets the seatbelt off, and I didn't move an inch, and it was probably five or six minutes before a, a car, another car came down this dark country road. So Matt left me hanging, my friend Matt left me hanging from my truck, and he ran to the road to try to flag this mm-hmm. passerby down. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the passerby slowed down, but then he zoomed around back.
2: Oh, and
1: no. uh, and it's like, you got to be kidding me. And so he, Matt ran back towards the truck. He's he's crying out uh, for Jesus. He's just, you know, help us. We, you know, I can't mm-hmm. do this. And uh, And I guess this guy had just gotten out of the the, the debris because there was tree bark all over the place from the hollow tree I went through. And my lawn mowing equipment was all over the ground and gas cans, oil cans. So he just was trying to get out of the way of all of that. And um, he came running through this patch of trees and started yelling at my friend, you know, get away from the truck. It's going to blow up. Uh, the flames were going up this wooden pole. And we actually had video footage of it uh, from when the fire department got there. Oh, wow. 15 you know, foot uh, flames. You can see how out of control this fire was. And uh, so he's yelling at my friend to get away from the truck. And they they kind of fought for about a minute or so before he finally agreed to help my friend uh, pull me out of the truck. And, and uh, you know, on the count of three, I, I fell out of the truck.
0: Wow. Mike Kinney is sharing his remarkable story today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Out of the Fire, as you can imagine, uh, How an Angel and a Stranger intervened to Save a Life. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. So many different thoughts going through my mind right now, Mike, and I'm not even living it. I mean, I'm reliving it through the story that you're, you're sharing here. But the fact that you're on fire, that you were asleep, and then you were awakened to this tragedy, that your friend is trying to do all these different double duties, and the stranger who eventually did help was actually more concerned with his own story stuff first and saying, Hey, look, don't get, don't let this thing blow up in my face. And eventually everybody, all that happened in such a, a a rapid period of time. And yet I'm sure it was kind of frozen in time for you. Um, Get us Mm -hmm. to the hospital, get us beyond that. I mean, now you've, you've, you're going through recovery. You're going through rehab. I understand you had a traumatic brain injury. Talk about that if you would.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, fortunately, I mean, in some ways I'd say, fortunately I had the traumatic brain injury because I don't remember uh, any of this. Mm. uh i was uh my last memory was uh, being at the uh football game and then going to get gas and that's my last memory was filling up the truck with gas but we only had i could only find a couple dollars and i asked my friend matt if he had some money he only had uh, two or three bucks so we only ended up putting five dollars worth of gas in my Mm. truck had it been more than that it, it could have been a problem right but um You know, going. uh, I was lifeline to the local hospital here in Indianapolis and spent about six weeks in the ICU and then another six weeks in rehab, Um, but it was several years. I mean, that started a journey. This was all 20 years ago, and I've been in cognitive rehab um, several times and most recently back in 2014, and, you know, when I woke up, I couldn't tell them how many sides were on a triangle. I couldn't... uh, You know, I didn't have um, motor function. You know, they tried to get me to raise my middle finger uh, up off the table, and I couldn't do that on command. And so that was pretty Mm -hmm. scary uh, waking up because I I thought, man, where do I go from here and what's life Mm going to look like? Mm
0: -hmm. 17 years old and you're facing this kind of challenge. What about your parents? Where were they? Was there a church community, school that was kind of rallying around you at this point? Who was cheering you on?
1: there was yeah our church uh we had a community of faith that kind of rallied behind us and um that is part of what inspired the book was uh you know just that you never know the impact that you're making on someone's life and mm-hmm. and I felt like man this is a chance I can say thank you to to those people that uh prayed for me and just simple acts of kindness but uh it went a a really long way and it helped me get through some really difficult times and so um, yeah, the the local church was amazing, and then also uh, some others helped to organize this thing called Picks for Kenny. It was a, a guitar picks uh, collection, and uh, you know, of course, the church knew about it, but they they got it out over the airwaves because Bob and Tom Radio um, it, they they heard about uh, my accident and said, yeah, we'll talk about it, and so guitar picks start coming in from all over the nation.
2: Mm. And
1: uh, and they reach out to Pete Townsend uh, out in London and the with the Who and said, "Hey, would you mind sending Mike a guitar pick?" And he said, "You know what? I'm going to send him a guitar instead." So he sent me, yeah, he sent me a Gibson acoustic Gibson guitar and signed the body of the guitar in big bold letters to Mike. This is the Phoenix Pete, Mm, and uh, and that you know Pete was one of those strangers that I talk about in the book that intervened you know to to save a life and um and what's so funny about that story is that uh, I didn't even know who Pete Johnson was uh, wow. at the time and apparently he's a rock legend uh yeah. but uh you know it was what he sent me and what he wrote in his note that meant so much to me that he went out of the way to me that he'd be praying for me and uh, and then he gave me this gift uh, and said this is the phoenix and that that gave me hope that i could rise from the ashes
0: that's amazing testimony from mike Kenny today here on the bottom line the book is called out of the fire how an angel and a stranger and actually several strangers intervene to save a life we've got a link for the book up at the bottomline show.com we'll have more of this incredible testimony coming up next as the bottom line continues
3: you know i just finished a meeting in africa with a group of guys and I said to them, here's the deal. They want to know how things are going in the United States. Hey, I'm not going to lie to you. Things are crummy. But I said, what you do every day is you get up every day, gentlemen, and you realize that none of this matters. God is in control. And if you believe that, then it, it's all downhill. And and I said to them, I said, so as we struggle here with the things that we're planning to do here in Africa, it's exciting to see all the things that you guys want to do and the plans you're making. Just know that God is in charge. And so and the bad things that are happening in the United States, God is going to work all of them to good, Romans eight twenty eight. That's the only solution is just go back every day to Jesus and
0: ask him for guidance in what you're supposed to be doing. Amen and amen. Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives welcome back to the bottom line show i'm roger marsh incredible story uh mike kinney is sharing with us today here on the bottom line and when you compare it to the laura winham case out of surrey england the woman who had mental illness was battling from schizophrenia and literally wound up dying by herself out of neglect and was literally her body sat in her apartment for three and a half years before anyone bothered to go check on her Uh, mike kinney's story it's truly remarkable because if someone had just walked away from his burning truck, if that stranger hadn't been coerced into coming and pulling him out, uh, we wouldn't be having this dialogue today. Mike's book is called Out of the Fire, How an Angel and a Stranger Intervened to Save a Life. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have a copy of the book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you or someone you know needs help, please reach out for help. I'm not just necessarily even talking about people who are battling demons that uh, would make you feel like it's not worth living anymore. I'm just talking about if you're by yourself and you need help. If you are a pastor and you have members in your congregation that you haven't checked in on recently, please pick up the phone. Stop listening to this right now. Don't don't listen for another minute. Start going through your rolodex or your card file or whatever. Get a team together. Start making those calls. Reach out to every member of your congregation and make sure that they get a phone call or a text message or an email. Something. How are you? From you as a pastor, each and every week. Uh, by the way, Mike Kinney's book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have one copy to give away. It's called Out of the Fire: How a Stranger and an uh, Angel and Stranger Intervene to Save a Life. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Conclusion of this conversation coming up next as the bottom line continues.
4: Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Culver will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now. At 877 214 4935. That's 877 214 4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at KBrightRadio.com/Slash Cover Law. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side.
0: Well, Mike Kinney is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. If you did not hear the first half of this conversation, go back to TheBottomLineshow.com, click on the link for the podcast and listen to part one of my conversation with Mike about his remarkable journey literally out of the fire. That's the name of his book. How an Angel and a Stranger Intervened to Save a Life. Got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. 17 year old Mike Kinney growing up in a church, going home with decent parents and kind of an average life uh, is on the second day of his senior year in high school when he falls asleep at the wheel and crashes into a telephone pole and winds up being pinned in the driver's seat of his, his truck. And next thing you know, he's engulfed in flames and just a miraculous, dramatic rescue. Uh, and then there was rehab, and then there was a you know traumatic brain injury discovery, and then a guitar pick from and a guitar from Pete Townsend. I mean, you really had kind of a charmed life. But, Mike, at the, before the break, you mentioned that there was a community of faith around you that was praying mm-hmm. for you and helping your family and this, that, and the other thing. At some point, everyone who goes through something like this asks the question, where is God or why me, God, or why did that happen? Talk about how you knew that God not only was with you, but had a plan for this, even in spite of the fact that you had to go through all of this painful rehabilitation to kind of get made whole again.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd say that hindsight is definitely twenty twenty, right? But uh, when, when you're going through something, it's really, uh, sometimes it's it's hard to uh see things from, from that perspective that God is with us, even when we, we have no idea what he's doing, you know, but, um, uh, I'll tell you, you know, a story, uh, that just shortly after my accident, uh, I told my parents, I, I really would like to go and see this truck. Is, is there any way that we could go to a junkyard and see it? Uh, because I had heard the story about what had happened and Matt had told me, um, you know, that, Jesus had showed up on the scene of the accident to heal my body. Um, mm-hmm. and that was hard for me to wrap my brain around. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, and that's the way sometimes I think people hear stories like this and they're like, well, that sounds great, but, but where's God in the middle of my story.
2: Right. And,
1: you know, so, so I went to, to the, uh, I did go to the junkyard and there's a book, there's a chapter in the book called Jesus in the junkyard. And, um, we get to this, this, uh, truck and we're looking at it. Everything is just, um, uh, there, there's nothing left. Uh, and we're, we're looking in the back seat. I see like the, uh, the, the in for my uh, acoustic electric guitar was back there, but like, I mean, everything is just uh, burnt up and you can't fit my body back in the driver's seat. Mm. And, uh, and so as I look in the window though, you know, I was there trying to search for meaning and trying to search for where where is Jesus? And uh, as I look in the center of the steering wheel, I see two pieces of metal that had melted together to form a shape of a cross. Mm. And I snapped a picture of that moment, and that has given me so much hope over the the years to know that that He was with me, even even though, again, I wasn't there uh, or was unconscious during the accident that was a piece of hope that I took with me, that, that Jesus was, that was with me in that moment and, and in all others moving forward. And, uh, and then I just started to see, you know, look for Jesus uh, in, you know, in, in other people and, and in other situations. And, uh, you know, one, one thing that really meant a lot to me was getting to share my testimony shortly after the accident uh, before my high school and one of the gals in my high school chemistry class that sat across from me—we didn't know each other that well—but uh, she, you know, this was the end of the school year of my senior year, and I shared my story. And the next day, she handed me a note and she said, "You know, hey, your story reminded me that God uh, saved me for a reason." She had just recently, uh, you know, tried to end her life, mm-hmm. and so this note was te- was telling me that she had recently. Uh, lived through this near-death experience, and she said, your story reminded me that God saved me for a reason, and she said, I feel like God saved you and, and sent you to save me is what she said, but she said, you know, she just prayed that that uh, God would would be with me wherever I go and wanted me to know that my story had made an impact on her life, and that note is now in a frame And it means so much to me because over the last 20 years, when things were really hard and when things were dark, I I found out I have narcolepsy and um, I lost loved ones and um, I lost a family member to suicide. Mm. You know, a note like that gave me so much encouragement and so much hope that our stories do matter. Our lives do matter. And that, uh, you know, if we can share hope with others and share our faith with others, we should do it every single time, because you just never know if it, if it might change somebody's life.
0: Mike Kinney is sharing his testimony with us today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of the brand new book called Out of the Fire, How an Angel and a Stranger Intervened to Save a Life. We have a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. Mike, I, I understand that in addition to uh, your writing and your speaking, of course, you're a singer, you're a songwriter, you're a, a worship leader. Uh, talk about what you're Uh, your musical journey is now. I mean, you you mentioned before that you were uh, an aspiring musician, (laughs) though you weren't really aware of guys like Pete Townsend at that point. But uh, now you guys are on a, you know, first name. Oh, yeah, Pete gave me this guitar. You know, it's no big thing. (laughs) You know, but uh, uh, talk about Uh, where God has led you now, because I I remember, and I'm going to throw this out just kind of as a precursor. It was about 15 years ago, I was, YouTube was just kind of taken off and I came across a, uh, a worship seminar that was led by Michael Card. And he spent the whole hour not playing his guitar, but talking about how worship begins with lament. I mean, if we really want to worship God, first and foremost, we have to be able to understand to use the language of lament. You obviously have a lamentable story that still impacts your life today. Talk about how God is using you in the worship world. Is, is that something you draw from often?
1: Oh, absolutely. And you know, it, it doesn't, um, it doesn't look like I thought it would in terms of leading worship. Um, that's something I, i uh, if you read my story, it's something I thought that I was made for. I was born, you know, to be a worship leader. That's what everyone told me when I was younger, when I was 17. And then, you know, I did help out a lot uh, for years, I mean, 10 to 15 years. And then when I tried to, you know, uh, find a worship leader position, the doors just weren't opening. It didn't feel like the, it was a good fit, and the, those doors really felt like they were shutting. And uh, and then I took a job that I've had for the last seven years where I work weekends, and I can't even volunteer as a worship leader. And that was a really hard thing, but I I, uh, I know that God was with me through that transition, and I, and I had a peace for it. And it wasn't too long after all that happened that I was able to— uh, uh, patent a product that I uh, had a dream about shortly after the accident, which is a uh, new type of capo and really the capo, it removes limitations. And so here I was feeling so limited by all the, uh, the brain injury and the the narcolepsy, all the things that I faced after, after the accident. And this capo really removed limitations. And so I had a lot of people that helped me along the way to getting that, um, you know, a prototype made and then actually writing a patent and, and getting all that done. But, you know, today, you know, I got a, a call this past weekend that the choir is going to sing at my church, which that doesn't usually happen. And, and it was it's a Thursday night. So they said, hey, can you join us? So for the first time in probably like five years or so, I, I'm going to jump on uh, with the choir tonight, and that'll be a lot of fun. But, you know, I think worship is something that we, we can experience on a daily basis, and it's how we live our lives in, in gratitude for, for what the Lord has given us. And uh, no matter what our circumstances are, that we can still turn whatever we're going through into yes. praise, knowing that this is not our forever home. You know, we're only here for a limited period of time. And so, um, you know, it's uh, it does look different sometimes than what we think it should look like, but uh, God still has a
0: plan for all of us. I love it. I love it. Uh, this is great, and uh, I'm so encouraged that by the fact that God has called you into a position of leading worship, even though it's not in the traditional sense of every Sunday morning I'm in front of a praise team or whatever. But uh, you're, you're finding your way, and you've got a remarkable story to tell. And good for you for inventing a new capo. I mean, how? I mean, as a frustrated bass player here. We don't get to benefit from them as much as you guitarists do. But uh, nonetheless, I think that's. Uh, it, I could see the the spiritual significance of that type of product as well, helping guitarists with their courting and uh, tunings and things of that nature. So so good for you, Mike Kinney. Mike is the author of the book, Out of the Fire, How an Angel and Stranger Intervened to Save a Life. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Mike, it's been great to get to know you. Thank you for sharing your testimony with us. And thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Roger.
0: What a great conversation with Mike Kinney today here on The Bottom Line. A uh, fantastic book, too, called Out of the Fire, How an Angel and Stranger Intervened to Save a Life. And I uh, love the, uh, the musical interludes, too, there, especially with Pete Townsend and the guitar that he wound up getting. We've got one copy of the book to give away, 800 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. If you are a pastor or a lay member of your congregation, I know during COVID when the churches weren't meeting on a regular basis, my pastor found that FaceTime became his best friend. And most every phone has either FaceTime capability or video chat, uh, Google Duo, take your pick. But getting eyes and ears on the people that we care about is very, very important to do. And I encourage you to do so. We don't want another Laura. I would, I would, just be remiss if we had a, a Laura Wyndham case like the woman in Surrey that I talked about earlier who literally was dealing with schizophrenia her family couldn't get through to her they thought that she was violent and and they were their own lives would be at risk if they were intervening they assumed that the state and the uh, government there in Surrey England was taking care of things and the state assumed somebody else was the landlord was getting paid by the state on a regular direct deposit and he kept collecting those checks for three and a half years And it wasn't until the family came over to the apartment one day. They'd called and called. She wasn't responding. She wasn't responding to text messaging, anything of the sort. The woman's father had passed away, and her siblings wanted to let her know, and they forced their way into the apartment and discovered that their sister had been dead for three and a half years. Now, in Mike Kinney's case, he's driving his truck. He and a friend kind of get into it in an accident. He crashes into a telephone pole. The truck bursts into flames. He's trapped. He's trapped. And as the friend is out on the street trying to get some help, he waves down a stranger and they had to convince the stranger that this guy's life was worth saving. And he stuck his hands in the fire and took his body out and rescued him. And Mike was with us just now sharing that amazing testimony. Sometimes your life is going to put you in that situation where you have to go the extra mile, where you're going to run the risk of getting burned and possibly even losing your own life to save somebody else's. But the question we have is, are you willing to make that effort? And I'm not talking about somebody who's literally on fire in a car. I'm talking about somebody whose soul is headed for eternal flame. Are you willing to make that effort? Am I willing to make that effort? These are questions we need to ask and answer and not just dogfights on social media. Pick up the phone and have the conversation. Uh, by the way, Mike Kenney's book is up at thebottomlineshow.com and we have a copy we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk a little bit more about Valentine's Day, veterans, and people who are working through the issue of post-traumatic stress disorder. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and grateful to have you along for the ride today. My thanks again to Mike Kinney. The author of the book Out of the Fire, How an Angel and Stranger Intervene to Save a Life. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have a copy of the book that we're giving away right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Hey, remember uh, last week, a week ago Monday, uh, T.C. Stallings was my guest here on the Bottom Line Show, and we were talking about his new movie or his most recent movie called No Vacancy. Uh, the story of a man who had been homeless and a church that had an issue in their neighborhood of homelessness. And the church was looking to either expand their main sanctuary or to plant a satellite satellite campus. Either way, they had enough money to go ahead with a big building project. And then they noticed that in their own backyard of the main campus, there was a hotel that had gotten kind of run down. And there were a lot of homeless people who used to congregate there and just kind of hang out. I mean, and, and let's face it, I mean, as much as we think about the people who are there and want to do some rehab for them, um, a lot of neighborhoods will look at a place like this and say, it's an eyesore. I mean, I, I don't mean to sound insensitive. I hope it didn't come across as insensitive, but they'll look at this and say, there's that old flea bag motel and that's where the homeless people go, but we'll keep on driving. We won't do anything about it. Well in the story of No Vacancy, the movie, the church says, we're not going to build the sanctuary. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to buy the hotel. We'll turn the hotel into kind of a transitional housing home. And by the way, I love that phrase, don't you? Transitional housing. The idea that you would provide a facility for people who are experiencing homelessness. And the the goal, of course, is not to stay homeless. It's to find a place to live and to thrive and Uh, We we understand Jesus said, you know, all throughout scripture, you're always going to have the poor with me. So with you. So it's not, I want to say, I I don't think it's a winnable war this side of eternity, but it definitely is a measure of our faith. I mean, we can reduce it. We can help to eliminate a lot of it, but as long as there are sinful people and people taking advantage of other people, you're going to find folks who wind up losing everything and and just say, hey, this is it. I can't have it. Uh, The Minnesota Star Tribune, reported something last week that I thought was kind of indicative of how more and more people are adopting the attitude that is portrayed in the faith-based movie called No Vacancy. Uh, the Hennepin County officials have decided to use $25 million in federal pandemic funds in a way that I think most people would agree is has the potential for being good. Now, here in the People's Republic of California, we know the number of, was it $60 billion in unemployment benefits during the pandemic went to people who weren't working? We're talking about the incarcerated or the people who are no longer with us. Huge scam. The amount of COVID relief pandemic scamming that went on at the federal level in the hundreds of billions of dollars or so. I mean, we how many, five, six trillion dollars uh, in those packages. Now, not all of that went to pandemic relief. I mean, a lot of that was let's expand government while we're, you know, waving a $600 check in your face. But Hennepin County in Minneapolis had, during the pandemic, they created a strategy to help those who were homeless and uh, to, to keep them safe from COVID. Basically, what they did was they gave them vouchers and they would rent hotel rooms. Well, they decided in late 2020 they couldn't do that anymore. Because, quite frankly, there were a lot of people who were homeless to begin with, and then other people who were displaced because they lost their jobs. And so Hennepin County said by the end of 2020, they looked at the cost, did a cost benefit analysis, and they figured out with as much money as they were putting into putting people up for the night, it'd be cheaper just to buy a hotel find a hotel in a certain area that needed a little refurbishing, had enough rooms, wasn't a place that people were staying at on a regular basis anyway, and make it a transitional housing facility. So they did it. Then they did another one. Then they did another one. They did five properties. Now, at the present time, it's taken a while to do the renovation, but $25 million later, there will be five hotels that are no longer hotels. Instead, they are going to be transitional housing. The uh, savings, of course, comes from not having to pay the sales taxes and the lodging taxes and the property taxes of renting the rooms. And remember, when you stay at a hotel, you've got a room charge and a city tax and this, that, and the other thing. The, the, the county was paying that. Now they don't have to. They, and, and again, those hotels were owned by private companies. They were trying to make money just like anybody else was. So now the hotels have been purchased. They're owned by the counties. Two of the properties are already open. They are what they call uh, Route 66 style motor courts located on adjacent blocks in South Minneapolis on Lindale Avenue. Uh, By the way, if you're wondering how much it costs to purchase a hotel, one of the hotels that was purchased is called the Aqua City Motel. It was built in 1968, and boy, does it look like one of those places, right? It's got the kind of brick with the neon type of thing, and of course, don't you love the charm of a motel? <laughs> it's called the Aqua City Motel in Minneapolis, Minnesota, right? Um, I'm sure it was a really cool place when it was brand new. It looks like it was, you know, the heyday of you know big American cars, Motown, and all that stuff. And now, unfortunately, the really nice brick on the side has all been tagged up. And, you know, it's not the kind of place that people would want to stay. The windows are all boarded up. The sign needs a little bit of uh, whatever. Um, There's also the Metro Inn Motel. I mean, these all look like these really cool 60s places. But, you know, it's interesting. Um, New York City has tried this. In New York City, it's really expensive. But, um, you know, New York is not Minneapolis. And in Minneapolis, they're having a little bit better success here. Um, I think it's great. The Metro Inn is open to residents now. The Aqua City will be happening soon. And there's three other properties that they're doing. But I love the proactive approach of the county. Something tells me, and this is from AmericanExperiment.org, so I don't know where the faith community is in this, but something tells me that there are people in the faith community who are chomping at the bit saying, hey, can we help you run this thing? Because what a perfect way to, what a perfect illustration of what it's like for someone whose life is, you know, broken and pieces like ours are apart from Christ and give them a chance to say, here's a place for you to call home while you rehab, while you get the mental health squared away, where you get your physical health squared away, get your financial well-being squared away. I love this concept, and I I, I can't help but think. Again, it's people helping people, the same way that Mike Kinney had people who rushed in and pulled him out of that truck, people helping people, in the same way that Laura Wynnum might still be with us if she hadn't been abandoned by a system that said, nope, not going to do it. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com, and I encourage you to check it out. Still taking your calls for Mike Kinney's book, by the way. 800-227-5278. We only have one copy to give away, but I'd love to put it in your hands. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Mike Kinney's book is still up for grabs. 800-227-5278 is the number to call. Crystal's taking your calls right now. Out of the Fire, How a Strangel, strangel, An Angel and a Stranger Intervened to Save a Life. Mike's remarkable story of being 17 years of age, kind of a nominal Christian, going out for a drive with his buddy. Buddy's in his car, Mike's in his own truck. They wind up slamming into each other. The buddy's car drives Mike into a pole. And now the burning wreckage, twisted metal, his body's all jacked up, and his friend was able to flag down a stranger who comes out and pulls him out of the, uh, uh, the fire, uh, hence the title of the book. But then years of learning to live with a TBI, um, several vocational disappointments. Now the guy, uh, his, God saved him from the flames and for a unique purpose, and he's living out that purpose, which you can read about in his book. Uh, 800-227-5278 is the number to call. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Crystal is standing by right now to take your calls. You know, we are, um, here we are a week out from Valentine's Day. And I think of the people who are first responders who go out to these places, like in Mike Kinney's case, you know, the burning flames, you know, try to rescue this guy, get him out of the car, get him in the ambulance, get him to the hospital. I think about uh, Laura Wynnum. the woman from England, from Surrey, who uh, had a different ending to her story. She had mental illness. She was schizophrenic. Her family feared for their own lives and their own safety. And she eventually wound up dying alone because no one intervened. The people who were there to first respond for her weren't responding at all. And I wonder how many of us are going through life right now um, just experiencing that loneliness. Are, Are you there? Is that your story right now? Um, please reach out, reach out to us, reach out to someone in your uh, your church. If you're a pastor, I, I stress this, that during the COVID uh, pandemic, it, there was a, a remarkable turn of events where a lot of churches all of a sudden began realizing there were people that they'd had on their mailing lists or on their tithing list, but they weren't reaching out. I heard a story of a church where there was a a woman, an elderly member of the congregation who had been fairly regular in her attending certain things and always being around. And she didn't show up for one of her usual deals. And um, the the church didn't think anything of it. There were other people around and I'm I'm sure she'll turn up something, maybe she's out of town. And they found out about three days later that she had fallen and um, couldn't get to the phone to call anyone and wound up. Her life ended there in her kitchen and I thought, It's just such a shame. You know, the beautiful thing about God so loving the world and sending his only begotten son to pay the penalty for our sin is this. A lot of people believe Jesus came and on the cross, he basically waved a magic wand and said, okay, sin, no more. There's no more sin. I paid the penalty. There's no more sin in the world because I took care of it. Well, you and I know that's not true. I mean, he did pay the penalty for the sin. He took all of the sin of the world on his shoulders and died basically conquering that sin and death so that all who believed in his substitutionary death and atonement for us will have everlasting life. But notice how God did this. God could have very easily spoken through a prophet that said, thus saith the Lord, your sins are now forgiveneth." but he didn't. Instead he sent his son in the form of a man, fully God and fully man, to mingle with us, to dwell with us. He told the eleven, and the other followers go into all the world and preach the gospel one to one. Meet people where they are, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. Don't let anybody wander away from you and feel like they're alone in this world. Because as long as they have the Holy Spirit in their heart, you're never alone. But the way that the Holy Spirit is transmitted one to another is people with the gift of faith who have received the gift of salvation tell other people. What does it? C. S. Lewis said. Um, One sinner telling another sinner, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's the essence of the gospel. And that's the bottom line. For our bottom line listeners on KCBC, enjoy the rest of your day. We've got Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, we're going to talk about Valentine to a Veteran and a special event here in Southern California that you will want to be a part of coming up this Saturday. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show, or welcome to the Bottom Line Show. I always say this at this part of the broadcast. We're entering the final half hour of our daily terrestrial broadcast release, and because we have different affiliates that pick us up at different times, we're on from three to four thirty p.m. Monday through Friday in Pacific Time Zone on bright AM seven forty in SoCal and AM twelve uh, forty in San Diego area. We are on five to six thirty p.m. Uh, no, 4 to 5.30, by my time zone's right, Mountain Time on KLDC, AM 1220 um, in Colorado, Denver area. We are also heard on KLTT, the uh, sister station to KLDC, Monday through Friday, 2.30 to 3 Mountain Time. So if you are listening, I, I offer these time zones up to you because I know we have a lot of listeners. We've heard from people in Kentucky and New York and Arizona and Wyoming and all over the place, and which is great on the internet. And if you are listening in those states in those time zones, um, maybe you know you want to hear something that's live and kind of late breaking, but you don't want to you know wait until it's too late in the day. Of course, you can always get everything that we do at thebottomlineshow.com, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, that I mentioned thebottomlineshow.com if it's easier and I we created this website a couple of years ago rogermarsh.com has all of our Bottom Line Show stuff up there it also has a few things from my work with Dr. James Dobbs it's family talk but it's R-O-G-E-R-M-A-R-S-H my mom and dad wanted uh, well they wanted two kids and they wanted for three but all of us have names first names that have uh, five letters and two syllables so I, I don't know why that was important to them but apparently it was important to them so there you go uh, something else that was important to us is uh, growing up was we had a dog. Uh, when I was when I was a boy, I don't know if I've shared much about my dog or I should say our dog. Um, we moved from Orange County or to Orange County from Whittier when I was seven in January of 1969. Just actually passed the. Uh, gosh, the 44th or 54th, I don't know what anniversary it was, 54th anniversary of that day. rained like crazy that winter of uh, December 68 into January, February of 69, delayed the house building by a couple of years. But anyway, it's a beautiful home up on a hill, really nice, kind of small, but the new owners made it bigger. It was really good. But we wanted a dog. And my parents were kind of adamant that we get a purebred, not just, you know, from someone from the store and my mom was teaching i think at the time with a woman who had a dog and they named the dog Boaz and the reason i guess was because they like calling him Bozo so <laughs> we found this tricolor french basset out in norco and made the drive out there and we brought him home and i just changed his food and water the whole time i was bad with the training with picking up taking him for walks and stuff like that I, that wasn't me i just that wasn't me it was my sister Oh, my goodness. Bose, as we called him, was uh, was her dog, basically. And he was part of our family, I want to say, for 14 years. Maybe longer. She had just, Linda had just gotten married. Anyway, it might have been 15. He had back problems. Uh, we used to go out to see my grandparents at 29 Palms. And uh, they, <laughs> we had one of those old Ford station wagons. We had a Plymouth, a Chrysler before we had the, uh, uh, our Plymouth before we had the Ford. And we still have pictures somewhere of him. We would stop at the Thrifty there, I think at Yucca Valley on the way to 29 Palms, get the little kind of square cylinder looking ice cream cone scoops. And he liked vanilla. And he would just power that thing down. He was a really good dog. Didn't howl too much. He was just wonderful. Hard day uh, having to say goodbye to him. It was really tough. But I know that growing up for each of us kids, especially my sister, but you know, for me too, um, he was a huge help. I mean, before we knew really much about service animals, before we knew about uh, emotional support animals, you know, let's face it. Part you got dogs because they were fun. You got dogs for protection. I mean, no one was ever. You could step over Bows, right? He was maybe ten inches tall, right? He weighed a hundred something pounds. That that poor neck, the back, and of course those long basset hound ears, right? But he was just he was a he was a joy. He was just a real blessing to us. I've always had a soft spot, and I'm so grateful that we have an opportunity this weekend for anyone who has a soft spot in their heart for dogs, but also for the therapeutic love that they bring to a household. I want to invite you to an event that's coming up. It's coming up this Saturday. It's an open house. It's put on by Working Dogs for Warriors. It's a new organization to me. They've been around for about six years, but Working Dogs for Warriors is an organization that is Dedicated to helping uh, men and women who've served in the military or who've served in law enforcement, firefighting, first responders, whatever it is, and need a support dog. Um, You may remember the name Victor Marx with All Things Possible Ministries. Victor was a Navy SEAL. Uh, He suffered tremendous abuse when he was a kid, but then he also saw the horrors of war. He has a uh, German Shepherd by the name of Scout and Scout is a, Scout's an amazing dog. She can sniff out bombs. She, uh, they do a lot of ministry with kids in the Middle East and help to rescue women and children who have been uh, abandoned because of the war. Scout can find, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll hide bombs in the most innocuous places, like in stuffed animals or something. And Scout has the ability to sniff that stuff out and alert the team to detonate it but she's also a real sweetheart and travels everywhere with Victor as well every time I look at the uh, working dogs for com website I see um, their dogs there and I think a scout I really honestly do she's a she's a cutie Uh, we're going to take a quick break here and when we continue Daisy Welch is the executive director of working dogs for warriors and I've asked Daisy to come on and talk about their special open house that's happening this Saturday give us you a chance to get to know their organization a little bit better Um, It's a barbecue. It's going to be a lot of fun this Saturday at the Working Dogs for Warriors location. Their headquarters in uh, Rialto at 170 North Arrowhead. We're going to be there. Hope you'll be there too. Daisy Welsh from Working Dogs for Warriors joins me next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But The first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, You know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now, they've had the ultrasound, you've seen the picture, you've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound Either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own, or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says "Preborn." Cute little baby there, wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Well, a special guest is joining me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, chatting with Daisy Welsh. Daisy is the executive director of an organization that I just learned about, and I want you to know about it, too. It's Working Dogs for Warriors. Their website is workingdogsforwarriors.com. Daisy Welsh, welcome to The Bottom Line show today.
5: Thank you, Roger. What an exciting opportunity. I'm so grateful to be part of this and just share a little bit about our organization and some upcoming events we have going on.
0: Absolutely. Well, I love the concept of what you're doing here. And I understand that Working Dog for Warriors was kind of an outgrowth of something that you saw in the line of duty, basically working as a dispatcher. Talk about what you were hearing, what you were seeing in terms of uh, you know the the need for this type of service and then how you were led to kind of step in, stand in the gap here.
5: Thank you. Yeah. I would love to share about that. Um, so all three of our founders have a very, their own personal reason for starting, um, but mine is very relevant to my job, which I worked as a 911 dispatcher for nine years. Mm. Um, and it was very difficult for me to learn how to stay mentally present and emotionally available for my family.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean,
5: after some of these heavier days at work, I needed to learn how to be a mom when, when I came home within the drive home. And that's what inspired Working Dogs for Warriors. Every single one of our programs genuinely helped me, and it was started by our founders where how do we maintain that level of uh, just being personal with their family, I mean, being able to stay a friend, stay a sister, a brother, a husband, a wife, Uh, so it was very, uh, very moving for me to see some of these events play out and getting pulled aside from our veterans and first responders saying, you know, this program genuinely saved my life, and me feeling you have no idea how this saved my life, too. I mean, we don't realize how it affects us and how it affects each other until we're actually here. And so this event we have coming up, it's a way to just let our community in. It's our open house on February 11th. Um, It's going to be here at where we really train our service animals, where we do reading safaris, where we have painting, wellness paint nights uh, Our workshops, we do canine CPR here, so we want to bring our community in to show them the heart of our warriors, why we do what we do, and we try to make everything very affordable while still funding our programs because everything we do is free for our veterans and our first responders.
0: I love it. I love it. Daisy Welsh is with me today here on the bottom line the executive director of the workingdogsforwarriors.com organization something that she says is a an outgrowth of her work as a dispatcher for all those years and and we've we've seen so much of how uh, whether your first responder type of work, you know, whether it's here in the States or, you know, abroad has really started to take a huge toll, maybe a much bigger toll on the men and women who are serving and responding than it has in the past. And uh, this open house sounds like it's a lot of purpose, but it also sounds like it's a lot of fun too. Can we talk about what's going to happen on uh, February 11th? Cause I know Cape brights going to be out there. We're going to have a good time uh, with y'all, but, uh, Uh, In addition to the barbecue and the fun and the games, there's definitely a message that you're trying to convey to uh, the community as well. Talk about that, if you would.
5: Yeah, absolutely. It's on Saturday, February 11th um, from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. It is listed on our website. Uh, The address is 170 North Arrowhead um, in Rialto. Uh, But the message we really want to portray is if you need help, Um, please ask for help. There is help out there, Um, whether you're experiencing something. uh, We know trauma affects us all very differently, and it's very personal, and there is no one answer, um, which is why we love collaborating with local organizations. Um, Mm -hmm. Whether you're a young mom and you're needing help or you're a service member experiencing PTSD, um, we have resources here um, with local organizations we love, love, love partnering with. Um, So that message is please. I know it's very difficult to communicate when you need help, um, but we want to help, and there's some really good people out there that would love to help you, and they care about you um, when, when you get involved with some of these organizations like Working Dogs for Warriors or other organizations out there. Um, there's that sense of family there because we care about you, we're invested in you, and we love to see you succeed and be able to maintain your heart you're being mentally present. I say that all the time because it's how it affected me not being mm-hmm. able to be mentally present or emotionally available, especially as a mom. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: mm-hmm. We
5: tend to get that mom guilt. And yeah. so it's very difficult to say, you know, I'm a mom, but I need help.
2: Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it's
5: there. I found it. And now I want to communicate that message of, to my fellow moms out there, to anybody in the community. and uh, We have somebody that can relate to you and, and cares about you and, and will be there for you through the, every step of the way.
0: I think it's fantastic. Uh, Daisy Welsh, the executive director of workingdogsforwarriors.com, is with me today here on the bottom line. And we're talking about PTSD, we're talking about first responders, talking about the, 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 the coping mechanisms that people have in your work as a dispatcher. You know, people might not think that uh, that kind of work would fall in that category. But the more I realize, oh, my goodness, well, you're getting calls from all sorts of trauma all day long. I have a sister who's a nurse, you know, who's worked in the ERs before. Uh, there, there are a lot of we're becoming more aware that as the world is getting weirder and actually more violent and more vile, that there is a need for this. But I have to ask you, Daisy, just with a smile on my face here, I'm staring at the cutest dog ever on your website right now. Can you talk about the dog part (laughs) of this for just a moment? Because I know there are people who, you know, there's a lot of people using like uh, anxiety dogs and comfort animals and this, that, and the other thing. But what you're talking about is it's not just, you know, some, a a dog that's kind of fluffy, that's, you know, really going to help out. You're talking service dogs, correct?
5: Absolutely. So that's our main mission is we provide service animals uh, for veterans and first responders at no cost to them. Um, From start to finish, it's about Mm $30,000. We cover 100% of those costs from the actual purchase to veterinary bills up to equipment and training. Um, But we also do what's called care team canines for local fire departments, police departments, and uh, behavioral health departments where these dogs are trained as a service animal for the handler, but they learn how to uh, find the triggers uh, from their peers. So when you go in and you go to a briefing after a traumatic call for service, there's these service animals there that can read the room and will go. So for example, um, Baxter, he's a canine Baxter. He's with the San Bernardino County Fire Department. He's part of their care team canine. When we were raising Baxter, he would go to uh, dispatch with us.
2: Mm.
5: And this dog, oh, my gosh, he was so loving. He would get up, walked to my partner, and she just he just wanted to sit by her.
2: Mm. And
5: she looked over. None of us said anything. He did it so quietly, and she was just petting him. And she looked at us, and she was just bawling her eyes. She was just mm. in tears. Mm -hmm. And we, I mean, we immediately look at our board where all the calls for service are listed and we knew which one she had just handled. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, a lot of people think 911 dispatchers are central in one location very far, but we're not. I mean, my children probably have played with the children of some of the parents that call. They're going to go to the same schools. We shop at the same Stater Brothers. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's very personal and Yeah. It's very difficult to not let our human emotions get involved, so it's so passionate I'm very passionate about helping our dispatchers, helping our first responders and veterans because I know that drive home, even though I live like seven minutes away from where I work um, that seven minutes is not enough time to recover, so finding ways of okay how how do i i need I need to switch it i need I need to become a mom again I need to go be a wife and be excited about the things they're excited about, and that's what we do here at Working Dogs for Warriors. We teach you how, and we provide wellness workshops. We teach classes. We offer peer support. There's a weekly support group that meets. It's confidential. Um, You have help here, um, along with our service animals, of course, and if you need a service animal, we'll get you one. Uh, You will stay with us. Um, Many service dog organizations, we love them, um, you'll be with them for about a week, two weeks. You'll learn the commands, and then you'll go and do all the amazing things. But here we're different. Uh, I believe we're the only one that you stay with us throughout the entire program. So yeah. it takes about a year and a half to two years. And essentially, you can, when you graduate, you can essentially go out and train your dogs too. <laughs> train other wow. Because you wow. learn everything. You learn how to train your dog. You learn that, um, our trainers, all of them except Michael. They all went through our program. So we have Canine Jackson's dad, Canine Charlie's, uh, Canine Scout. Those are all trainers now, they're handlers.
0: Uh, Wow. So we like to
5: give them a whole new purpose. Yeah.
0: Thank you so
5: much. This is incredible.
0: Well, this is such an, uh, an awesome uh, undertaking that you have ventured into, Daisy Welsh, and we're honored to be a part of the barbecue that's coming up. The open house that's coming up on Saturday, February the eleventh. It's happening at the park's name again. I've got the address, but I want to make sure I get the park's name right.
5: Okay, so we're hosting it here at our training facility. Oh, at the we're training facility dogs okay. for warriors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's at our. We have two sites. Up. So this one's actually at our weld, our regional wellness center, and that's at one seven zero. A North Arrowhead Avenue in Rialto. It's right at the corner of Rialto Avenue and Cedar.
0: Okay, great. And no, pr- so no prior regi- <laughs> no prior registration necessary. Our listeners can just show up and say hi to you and look for the K Bright booth. That's going to be there. We'll have a table, and Teresa's going to be out with the team, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, Food and festivities and, of course, dogs, right? I mean, it wouldn't Absolutely. be any fun, we, <laughs> it yeah, be any fun without the right. dogs.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Every time. We, we'll probably do some demos. We love doing demos. Love it. So our dogs, um, they're task trained, um, and they learn a minimum of 10 tasks for their hand learn. Um, but uh-huh. they learn very – we teach them so many because a lot of people, they get excited when, you know, they see we're veterans for Veterans Day. They want to go teach. I mean, I'm sorry, they want to go read to kids at school. So we teach them very public friendly tasks. And by that, I mean um, some of those relating to anxiety or PTSD. Those are very personal. Um, mm-hmm. So we teach them very public friendly ones like sit. I mean, I'm sorry, not sit. Well, that one too, but we teach them block. Um, they'll create a barrier. Um, we'll teach them stand, embrace. I think that people love to see. And then a couple of tricks too.
2: Just mm-hmm. to get, How fun.
5: get, get this. Just to get the public happy. (laughs) I love it. Um, I love it. I'm here. So we love Uh to do demos too. So we'll probably do some that day. And you don't need to pre-register, but if you do, you get a discount. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, very good. Well, we'll we'll put that link up at the thebottomlineshow.com. And of course, we'll have that on kbrightradio.com as well. You'll find a link for that as well. Uh, Daisy Welsh, the Executive Director of Working Dogs for Warriors, workingdogsforwarriors.com. We're looking forward to the open house coming up this Saturday, February the 11th at your Regional Center at 170 North Arrowhead in Rialto from noon until four o'clock. And we encourage our listeners to get out there too. Daisy, thank you for the great work that you're doing. And thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate the visit.
5: Oh, my pleasure, Roger. Thank you so much for this opportunity. We're looking forward to a great event together.
0: Well, again, we've got that information up at TheBottomLineShow.com. I hope you can join us this Saturday uh, for Working Dogs for Warriors open house at their locations, 170 North Arrowhead in Rialto. Uh, for more information, how you can register and uh, show up, maybe if you want to be a sponsor or uh, get a booth, uh, go to WorkingDogsForWarriors.com. Uh, some final thoughts on veterans and how we can also be a help from them this Valentine's Day week. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues get your money out of a traditional 401k or IRA now.
3: What we have is we have a problem in the sense that, and I've got a big pot of money. No one's advising me on what to do with this big pot of money. And so I'm just kind of putting it all over the place. People in the early 50s and early 60s, when they went to work, they had pension plans. Hey, they knew when they retired, they're going to have a pension plan. Well, it is a real challenge when you think about the fact that here I am, now I'm retired and You're now responsible for everything to do with your retirement, everything to do with the growth, everything to do with what you're going to do. And so this kind of gives you a feeling of relief to know that, hey, I'm not the only one out here suffering. When you see the the severity of what the 401k has limited you to, and you realize that it really isn't what it was cracked up to be, this kind of takes them down
0: the road and shows them how easily that can be solved. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to Daisy Welsh, the Executive Director of Working Dogs for Warriors, uh, WorkingDogsForWarriors.com. Big Open House is happening this Saturday from noon to 4 p.m. at their headquarters in Rialto. 170 North Arrowhead in Rialto. There's going to be food. There's going to be demonstrations of what they do with and for the dogs and the veterans who benefit from them it's it's going to be a great day our team's going to be out there uh and i encourage you to be a part of this as well um early in the broadcast today i mentioned we are a week away from valentine's day and speaking of reaching out to veterans and this that and the other thing i'm not guys i'm not going to shame you uh, if you haven't done your valentine's day shopping yet because you've still got six more days Ba-dum-bum. but i'm bum but nonetheless uh we have an opportunity to show the love of christ since this is the holiday of love uh to show the love of christ with veterans in our world who sometimes are suffering in silence sometimes you hear the statistic 20 a day 22 a day sometimes you hear the statistic that we heard last week as many as 40 veterans a day will take their lives because of ptsd and there there are ways that we can help alleviate some of the stress. Now, what I'm going to propose is not a medical cure by any stretch of the imagination. But how about sending a valentine to a veteran? Okay. Here's what we encourage you to do. Um, you go to kbrightradio.com forward slash V, the letter V as in valentine, dash cards. If you want to just go ahead and put your name, your email address, the city that you're from, and then put a message that you would like to send to to a veteran, a member of our military community who just needs a word of encouragement, a nice little val Think of this as like, remember in the public schools, I don't know if they still do this. Back in the day when Valentine's Day would roll around and what did you do? Everybody in the class made valentines for everybody else. And then you walked around and dropped them off in the little basket things. And, and they were, they were tons of fun to get, right? Or maybe they weren't. Um, I remember one year I was a second grade, third grade, and I, my mom had a little craft for us one night at church and we made my sister and I cut out these hearts and we you know, wrote happy Valentine's day and put our names on them. My sister and I did for each of ours and put a little candy on them. And that way, you know, cause it was kind of weird for the guys to give Valentine's to the guys, right? <laughs> and it was kind of fun for the guys to give them the girls that they liked or the girls that, you know, the guys and whatever. This is not that intense but it's the same type of concept you could go on and register as many times as you want put different messages and bible verses for different members of the military and then uh, just hit the submit button and you're good to go now if you want to donate candy or a treat or something like this put your phone number in the comments section and teresa our marketing director will give you a call and she'll arrange a pickup or a drop-off address for a place that we know the working dogs for warrior site i mean the any number of places where we can actually do that too. But it's important to share the love of Christ, especially with people right now. I mean, people who know the love of Christ, it's always nice to get that hug, that reminder, that handshake. You're at church, you see somebody, what do you do? Shake a hand, give them a hug, full frontal hug, side hug, whatever it is, appropriate physical touch to members of the body of Christ. It's it's really key. It is. How many times do you see in scripture where Jesus is laying hands on people or touching people? or that's, that's a part of our healing ministry. I know in my pastoral times of, you know, laying hands on, you know, anointing someone with oil and praying for a miracle. It's just, it, it's, it's really wonderful. So this is kind of like an electronic touch, if you will, these uh, Valentine to a veteran. But then also too, when you think about what's going on here, there are some people outside the body of Christ, who aren't a part of the church per se, who are looking at the world right now and saying, the world is really messed up. I mean, jacked all the way up, and I'm just kind of feeling lonely out of it. You see more and more people dying mysteriously of heart problems, and I wonder how many folks, <clears throat> quite frankly, are dealing with lonely hearts and broken hearts. Maybe a relationship ended, maybe a parent died or a spouse died, and you just can't focus. I have a good friend right now who's wrestling with extreme depression over the fact that her husband passed away. Um, And you know what? Your feelings are your feelings. I'm not going to tell you how to feel, but this is one way where God steps in and says, look, I will bind up your wounds. I will put my arms around you and comfort you. I will weep with you when you're weeping. I will mourn with you when you mourn. But we're going to do it in a productive way that enables you to get healing, not just to put a smile on it, not turn your frown upside down, but rather how do we really heal from this? The only way you can heal from the wounds of the past, the sinful things that people have done to you or that you've allowed yourself to wander into is with the balm, if you will, the B-A-L-M of the love of Jesus Christ. It brings healing. It brings resolution. It brings restoration. It brings restitution. A valentine to a veteran or just a, a, a hug and a cheerful word from a trusted friend. God can use them both for his glory. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.